So we're going to do a meditation together this morning. So um, I invite you to uh, turn your screens off if you would like to. Um, our beatitude this morning is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and Karina and Jen are going to help us through that today but I feel like um, it would be good for us to sort of focus and settle ourselves on the second half of that um, and and just uh, and just dwell in some comfort for a little for a minute um, so yeah if you want to turn your cameras off please do so and settle into a comfortable position if you've got a blanket or something cozy to hand, you might want to get that and just mm, kind of settle yourself in. Make this a physical practice. And then let's just take a few deep breaths. Um, I The habit of just rolling back my shoulders, I don't know, I spend a lot of time like this, but actually rolling back, opening up um, and breathing is important just to kind of center that somehow. kind of metaphorically make some space for our hearts. Perhaps you've got an obliging pet who will come and be petted by you. That can be a great source of comfort. If you've got no pet to hand, you can place your hand on your chest. And uh, that, that is a way to kind of ground yourself in being present with yourself. So if you're sitting comfortably, then uh, we'll do this. So then as you breathe in, Say the words, God of all comfort. And as you breathe out, say the words, comfort my heart. So you say, God of all comfort, comfort my heart. God of all comfort, comfort my heart. God of all comfort, comfort my heart. And from this place of knowing that you are comforted, ask yourself over what parts of your life are you mourning or grieving? As they come to mind, invite God to be with you and using the words of that breath prayer, God of all comfort, comfort my heart, just recognize that, that those are there and that you have them. And if nothing comes to mind for you, nothing that you are personally mourning or grieving, that's okay. Perhaps um, instead somebody else will come to mind and if that happens, then hold them, hold them in your mind for a breath and use that prayer again to pray for them. God of all comfort, comfort their heart and then let them move along. Allow them to kind of just walk on by. And then if someone else comes and takes their place, repeat the process, do the same for them. God of all comfort, comfort their heart. What a wonderful God we have. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? So that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them this same help and comfort that God has given us. So let's just do three more times. God of all comfort, breathe in. Comfort my heart and breathe out. God of all comfort. Comfort my heart. God of all comfort. Comfort my heart. That breath prayer is one that you can come back to at any point you need to. And I believe God will meet you there whenever you need to be there. I'm feeling like I need to just kind of shake it off a little bit. But um, 
there is comfort that we can access. We just take a minute to do so. So um, let's just stay in that place of comfort and rest as Karina and Jen help us to explore what it is to mourn this morning. So if you're ready, have a wriggle, open your eyes and turn your cameras back on. And uh, I'm just gonna quickly introduce Jen and Karina. Well, Karina doesn't need introducing. She's been here a bunch of times, but, um, but Jen, and, uh, and then I'm gonna pray for them both and release them to do their thing. So uh, Jen has 25 years experience in community mental health. In 2015, she started a business offering workshops and trainings to organizations, businesses, and individuals. Topics range from self-awareness, self-compassion, cultivating well-being, trauma-informed care, appreciative inquiry, and supporting others who are struggling. I think she's pretty well equipped to help us today. Currently, she's the curriculum developer and writer for a provincial peer support training project funded by the Ministry of Mental Health. Jen is a huge movie buff, and she lives with her husband, Dave, and two daughters, Ramona and Sydney, in Abbotsford. And uh, it's fun to have her as part of our community. So um, she's been around for a little while. I think she joined us in person a few times before we moved to this virtual weirdness. Um, and uh, it's great to have uh, her today. So um, Karina, I'm going to come to you. All right. Oh, oh I'm going to. Oh, wait. I'm going to remove my spotlight, but that's exciting that I can have two going. Ooh. Do you, you need to unmute? Hmm. We're having a few technical issues. Please hold. Sorry, I couldn't find I couldn't find the screen because I've got my my text up here and then it disappeared. So it's all good. Okay. Uh, we're all good now. Okay, so uh, I am super excited about this morning. We are going to be going through a lot. So Sarah, that that breath prayer that we can return to, I think might be useful for us this morning because grief and mourning are big topics. And I think we're going to cover a lot of territory today. today. So just remember that that breath pair, that self-compassion in everything this morning. We belong to each other. We want to be loved by one another and just everything belongs. So I'm glad to be here learning with you as Jen's going to share as I'm going to share this morning. So blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn who experience grief, who are depressed, who suffer tragedy, who experience deep sadness, who feel pain, hashtag blessed. For they will be comforted. They will, they will be comforted. That, that's almost a hashtag blessed guarantee. But here's the thing, we're sort of really into the second half of every beatitude but not so much into the first. <laughs> I, I don't think that's new. We're not into pain or grief or sickness or sadness or loss. We often find ourselves unconsciously participating in one of two paradigms. Option one, we try to skip to the end or like hop over the morning, hop over the poverty of spirit. And we wanna hop over it and get to the comfort without having to really experience the first part. I am really good at this one the queen of denial, <laughs> you could say, it's like pain? Oh, what pain? Sadness? I don't know what you're talking about. If I can just find enough good news or maybe somebody worse off than me or ignore this deep sadness in me long enough, maybe it will go away. And so we scroll and we numb or we eat and we avoid or we work ourselves ragged and circumvent the hurt with exhaustion but emotions are like beach balls floating in a pool. Trying to suppress them and hold them down just makes for bigger, messier explosions when we can't keep all the ones we don't like underwater. Option two, spiritual bypassing. That's when someone uses spirituality or good vibes only to avoid, suppress, and escape the uncomfortable issues and emotions. I mean, that started in the book of Job and it continues today. I actually asked people to share on Facebook what types of spiritual bypassing they've experienced. And in the course of one evening, I had over 50 comments. I'm not that cool, but that was amazing, the response to that. 
here's what I found. Our spiritual bumper stickers are not bringing comfort to ourselves or to one another. We do it to ourselves like when we identify emotions and then say, oh, but I shouldn't feel that because God's in control. Or we do it to others. People just shared over and over again, difficult emotions, life-sharing diagnoses, trauma, and we give comfort with comments like, well, be grateful at least something something didn't happen to you, or God thought you must have been extra special to give you this special burden, or well, God won't give you more than you can handle, or we treat the Bible like a comforting caber tossed when, when we throw a verse like, well, the Bible says don't worry, and we wonder why it causes so much damage when it lands on our laps. Right, Cabertoss, Highland Games, it's like throwing a tree with no branches on it. Like, it's a big deal. Even I'll pray for you, please stop talking, is harmful when it's used as a conversation ender. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those does not equal, I am so glad as though we need to put a smiley face emoji at the end of it, or God will not comfort us. Blessed are those is more like a, a, a holy invitation into your humanity in order to access the eternal. When you surrender to being fully human, when you let yourself move through your grief, rather than suppressing it, you're able to participate in an exchange where we experience the paradox of comfort in grief the kingdom of God for your poverty, mercy as the pathway to justice. But if we think that God is opposed to negative emotions, we'll continue these harmful patterns. But good news, friends. Jesus shows us what God is really like, and he is not a stoic Greek God, but a comforter. God in Christ loves and values and is present to our humanity. Once you learn to see it, you will find it all over the place. So I'm going to do just a really quick flyover of one story, and maybe it'll show us a pattern that might give us permission to be more human, and, and we'll look for other places in the Bible and find it there and in our life. So from John chapter 11, verses 1 and 3, and then 33 to 35. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So Jesus sent, so the sisters sent word to Jesus. These are good friends of Jesus. And they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, for it is God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So like in that moment, it's really easy to see God in Christ. I mean, he's prophesied what will happen in the future. It's practically another hashtag blessed guarantee. Blessed is Lazarus who is sick, for it will not end in death. Then we get all the way down to verse 33, during which time Lazarus is not only mostly dead, but really and truly four days dead. It says, when Jesus saw her, the sister of Lazarus, his friend Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Now, if the only thing that matters in life is the truth we know in our heads, then Jesus' reaction does not make sense. If avoiding pain to get to the good stuff is the way to be human, then Jesus should just skip to the resurrection. Or if finding the godly silver lining is what we're to do, then Jesus should remind us and everyone crying there the promise of God that he just prophesied 30 verses ago. But he doesn't do that. He weeps and not just like gently soft falling little moist tears. No, he's broken and troubled and so sad. Put yourself in the sandals of human Jesus for a moment. Jesus' friend is dead. His other friends and their community, his people, are expressing their deep sadness at how death separates us from the one we love. Picture that moment. And, and we didn't have time to read it, but he really has just been raked over the coals by his friends for not showing up like they expected. 
they have been hurt by Jesus. And I think he knows it. It hurts to be misunderstood. Could that be part of this? Or maybe, maybe put yourselves in the, in the shoes of the crowd or with his sisters. This isn't just about Lazarus anymore. It's about major disappointment and unmet expectations. We thought you could save him, Jesus. How could you let him die? Take a moment and see the multiple layers of grief present here. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus is so human here. He is present with the emotional reality in his life right in that moment without shame and without explanation. He surrenders to it and he weeps and he doesn't try to fix the pain of his friend or his community either. They are allowed to mourn. He does not use his divinity to rescue them from their holy grief. Instead, he joins them in it so they are not alone. And that is the first miracle here, isn't it? Jesus joins us in our grief and brings comfort. And from there, he calls forth the second miracle of life from the tomb. The way to participate in the divine is to be human. Surrender to what is. Let go of the illusion you can control it and wait for life to rise. Life, death resurrection. Future goodness, comfort one day, is not a cure for human experience. But fully participating in our human experience is the pathway to the presence and goodness of God with us, even in our sadness. So how do we learn to do what Jesus did? How do we embrace all of us? We're good at thinking about things. But emotions are not ideas. They're tangible responses to life experience. So I'm going to pass it over to Jen here. She's going to take the wheel for a bit and lead us through this next part. I, we are so grateful that she's part of this faith community. So I invite you as, as we transition there to just take a breath and get ready to receive the goodness that God has for us through Jen today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And I, th I think this topic is one that doesn't get talked about enough. So, and it's something I'm very comfortable sharing with others about. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, I, I wanted to just highlight uh, what uh, Sarah shared with us at the beginning. So the, the little meditation she shared with us, I think is very powerful and um, we can pull it out anytime. It's a, it's a tool that we can use at any point if you're having a rough time. So you can pull out, like I have my little blanket here, you can pull out your blanket. And Sarah, if you're okay with maybe typing the words in the chat, that would be great. And then people can write it down and hold on to it as a tool. And even the whole, you know, putting your hand on your on your shoulder or on your chest, that can be a really healing, uh, comforting thing. And, and actually the skin to skin can be really helpful. So if you're ever at a point where you feel really anxious, just take your hand and, and put your hand on your skin and you'll notice that it actually brings a sense of calm. So that's a good tool. And I just wanted to highlight that. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to be here. And I, I wanted to share that. Um, I'm speaking as Sarah introduced me, I have a lot of experience in mental health and supporting people and uh, education is, is kind of where I'm at right now where I work with people to create wellness plans and I also support people to support people <laughs> differently. So I, I do a little bit of that. Uh, but I also come from this from a place of experience of lived experience of understanding uh, pain and understanding struggle. Um, so I'm sharing from uh, anything I'm sharing today is stuff that I've used in my life. And I think that's important to highlight that it's not all from your head, that it's something that is a practice. Um, so I, th I think, first of all, we, as humans, we like to avoid pain. And that's just kind of a natural thing that we try to avoid pain. Uh, but it's super important and it's a super important piece of uh, the human experience to feel our pain, 
uh, process our pain, express it and move on and learn from it. And I believe that we can't really experience joy if we don't experience pain and pain comes to us as a teacher. So usually when we feel pain, even if you hurt your finger or something like that, it means that something is going wrong. So if you have a pain in your heart, it's signifying that there's something possibly wrong. So emotional pain is similar. It's when we feel that emotional pain, it's an indicator that there's something else going on that we need to unpack. And yet we tend to run from that pain and we're afraid to face it. So part of achieving like a sense of well-being and feeling good is digging into our pain, even though it feels it feels counterintuitive to dig into your pain. You feel like, oh, I'm feeling sorry for myself or I'm I'm engaging in self-pity. But I really it's really not possible to experience joy and comfort if we don't also dig into our pain and feel our pain. Um, I, when I hear the, the, the phrase, um, blessed are they who mourn for they will receive comfort. There's a few things that come up for me. Um, mourning is actually, uh, an act. It's an active word. So when we think of pain, when we think of grief, um, that is not active that can just sit. Right. So, so what we know is when we experience pain, um, and suppress it, it just stays stuck and it can actually um, trauma. We know that trauma can actually live in your cells and it, and it can live within your body for long periods of time, unless we support ourselves to work out that pain. So grief and sadness um, can live in us for a long time, unless we actually face it and work through it. Mourning is active. So grief, sadness is not active. Mourning is an active position. So, so mourning is, is uh, expression of that sadness. So from when I read that, it says to me that the mourning, actually we receive comfort when we express our pain, when we learn how to feel our pain and work through it. So it doesn't, the comfort comes then, it doesn't always come before that. So it's like, uh, we are part of the process of working through our pain. And it's an important, it's important to, to realize that, that it's an active thing. Um, and comfort, I believe, comes in different ways. Of course, the comfort from God, when we pray, and when we let out our feelings, we were we receive some release and we receive, receive comfort and God can comfort us in that way. There's also a comfort in sharing and connecting with people. When we go and talk to someone and have that connection and really share and someone actually really listens without trying to fix us, when someone just listens to our pain and comes alongside and hears us, there's something that is so connecting about that and that can bring com comfort. And I also believe that God has built resiliency right into our DNA. So we as human beings are resilient and we have an ability to, to work through these things. Um, so I believe that going through pain and struggle actually builds our resilience to go through pain in the future. So that also brings comfort. But if we continually stuff it, it's like when you consider maybe a box and uh, feathers, say you keep stuffing feathers in a box um, and the feathers are pain, you keep stuffing them in a box and then put the lid on it, but there's hundreds of feathers. And then all of a sudden something comes along and the box breaks and then the feathers go everywhere. It's like, that, that's an example of when we keep stuffing our pain, stuffing our pain, stuffing our pain. It doesn't go anywhere. The pain doesn't go anywhere. It stays until one day something happens and everything explodes. And then we see people with um, mental health issues getting, getting diagnosed with mental health issues or um, physical issues because when our sympathetic nervous system is triggered all the time and we have adrenaline pumping through our body all the time, eventually we develop health problems. So part of the, the comfort comes in releasing this pain so that we encourage uh, wellness and, and well-being. 
Um, one aspect of loss that I think is important to talk about right now, especially, is um, there's a term called ambiguous loss. And so sometimes when we think about grief and loss and mourning, we think about the big things, like when someone passes away, when we lose a loved one, when we have these big, big moments. Um, but the truth is we also experience grief and pain and loss on a regular basis. Like almost every day, we can experience some aspect of loss. Um, we can experience, um, like the whole pandemic has been a loss for many people. It's kind of a global trauma if you look at it that way. And we need to address those small losses too. And ambiguous loss basically means it's a loss that uh, doesn't have certainty attached. So um, this term was um, coined by a researcher named Pauline Boss. And she, uh, real she was studying uh, families of uh, veterans and, and people who were at war who got, uh, who didn't come back. And there's this sense of, um, there's a sense of, you know, the, someone's lost and you don't know where they are and you don't know if they're coming back. And that can create a really big sense of loss where we don't have the closure that we have when we know someone's passed away and we get to bury them and have that sense of now, now this person's buried and I can move on with my life. So ambiguous loss is there's not an end, a concrete end. Um, some examples, there's two types where it's like, uh, there's a psychological uh, missing and then absence and but a physical presence and that can be like if we're supporting someone with dementia um, perhaps we're going through divorce um, simple things like like maybe a relationship is changing and you don't feel as close as as you used to or a child moving growing up and moving out of the house can fit that too um, and then the other type is when someone is not physically present but is you still feel connected emotionally so that can be like someone's missing or immigration problems where you can't be together um, those types of that's that's basically what ambiguous loss is um, and I would say that's the type of loss we tend to deal with more in our lives where there's this sense of like ah oh, this isn't ending like the pandemic this could go on forever we don't we don't know how long it'll go on so it's important to identify that and know that that is happening and also be okay with that pain right um, I, on the Facebook page, we posted a little clip from the movie Inside Out. Um, I don't know if any of you got a chance to see it, but if you haven't seen that movie, it's a powerful movie. Um, and I'm going to give away the end, but seriously, it came out a long time ago. So I hope it, <laughs> I don't feel bad about spoiling it <laughs> because if you really wanted to see it, you would have seen it by now. Anyway, so the point is um, that there's several emotions represented in this. Uh, story and joy is we see as the main character and joy is you know trying to like you know how sometimes we have people in our lives who are like like cheerleaders and they want to cheerlead us out of our our pain but it's not very effective um, we see that happening in the show and then there's this one pivotal scene the one that I posted on uh, that we posted on Facebook and it's where there's a character who's experienced something sad and is sad and, and, you know, is missing. It's like a, something that I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like this thing that he played with, with the main character Riley and it got lost. And it's like the thing got lost, but it's not just the thing it's the potential for more things, right. For more moments with the character. So it was very sad for, for him and Joy's like, let's go. You're okay. I'm going to tickle you. And like really excited. And of course that did nothing for, for the character. And then sadness, the character sadness comes along and just puts, puts her hand on his, his arm and said, it's really sad. And then asked him questions about, about um, why he was sad and he expressed it. They hugged and then they were able to move on. And that's, I think that's a really powerful example of how we need to feel our pain we need to express it, process it, and then we can move on. Otherwise, it just stays there and it's like stuffed and it's, it's, um, it will show up in other ways. 
Um, and it's, yeah, so that, that convert, we need to change our conversation about pain and be more okay with talking about it and also fix our work on the whole idea of just being more comfortable with discomfort because discomfort is a huge, uh, hugely important piece of, um, healing and, and growing and growth. Yet we have such a, uh, fear of feeling uncomfortable and look towards always want to move towards uh, the comfort and joy and all the good things but but we don't actually grow unless we sit with um, discomfort and um, yeah and and part of dealing with all of this is learning how to be more in touch with our bodies and feeling what's going on within us. And that's why these mindfulness practices are really helpful because they give us a tool to um, get in touch with our bodies. Cause sometimes we're so, we move so fast and we don't take time to stop and just go, wait a minute, what's happening within me? And is there something I need to do to um, discover about why this pain is here and what do I need to process and learn from it? Um, an important tool is for, for all of this is self-compassion and learning what self-compassion is and how to treat ourselves with kindness. It's often easier to be compassionate towards other people than it is to be compassionate towards ourselves. So um, I really appreciate Kristen Neff. She's a researcher on self-compassion and she describes it this way that um, self-compassion includes self-kindness versus self-judgment. Often we hear our inner critic, we do something wrong and we hear our inner critic like yelling at us all the time, oh, you're so stupid or you always mess this up. Um, and self-kindness is about instead of like, basically self telling our inner critic to be quiet and just offering ourselves kindness and saying, it's okay. It's okay that I messed up. I can learn from this and move on. And then the next piece is mindfulness versus over identification. And mindfulness is about uh, paying attention and noticing uh, what's happening within us. And often we're so quick to fix things, to jump in and fix it, that we don't stop to realize what's actually happening here. It's about stopping that desire to fix and just be, and then you can move to the fix. But, and, and this is also really important when we're supporting people, especially when we're supporting people who are in pain, we tend to want to jump in and, okay, let's fix this, fix this for you. And that's not what's helpful in the moment for people. It's, it's important to just be with your feelings and then, and then you can move on to the fixing part later. The mindfulness and presence is really important. And then, and then the, the last piece is common humanity versus isolation. When we are in pain, we think we're the only ones in pain. We're the only ones that's experienced this before. But everybody, it's part of the human condition to experience pain. So reminding ourselves of that is really important when we're in pain, that we're not alone. Everyone experiences pain. Pain is a part of uh, the human experience. Um, I have, a, I'm almost out of time, but I have this one thing I shared on Facebook a last week, and I just thought I'd share it because I think it's an important tool. And I wrote it out on here. I don't know if you can see it. Um, and I think if you want to write it down, you're welcome to write it down. And this is just a little thing to help us when we're feeling some discomfort, whether it's a big piece or a little piece um, of discomfort. I... I use this, I, I've really tried to practice this in my life. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a really heavy week and there was a lot of things going on and I felt really, everything felt really dark. Um, and I was able to use this and help myself uh, through this process. So the first piece is notice the feeling and um, we can't heal what we can't feel. So noticing it, paying attention is really, really important. And then labeling it, um, that means like, actually label, tell your, like, say what it is you're feeling. And sometimes we'll, we'll just say, oh, I'm sad. Well, usually there's something else under the sadness. So, so the experience I had, there was a few things going on and I spent a lot of time trying to sort out what it was. And one of the biggest things that I have going on is I'm working on this big writing project. 
And um, I was, I'm in the phase where there's a lot of editing going back and there's a lot of uh, cooks in the kitchen. So there's a lot of people giving me feedback. So I was getting feedback from like 10 different people and it kept, it's still going on like like three weeks of, of feedback back and forth. And that was bothering me. And, and, I, and I had to kind of dissect it. Well, why is that bothering me so much? And then I finally like went down to figure out it's because I feel like I'm a failure because so many people are giving me feedback. So then I had to go, okay, that's what it is. It's not just the feedback itself. It's the, the, under, it's the, the feeling of failure underneath it. And then I was able to work with it. Once I knew what it was, then I'm able to work with it. Um, so the next piece is feel it. So, so actually feel what you're feeling and don't try to avoid it. And that's a really important piece is feel it. And it, it, like in your whole body, let yourself have that pain. It's really important. And then we can offer kindness, self-kindness. Offer yourself kindness like this, this thing or do something good to yourself you know, have a, have a bath, have a cup of tea. Those little things are really important. Um, and then the next piece is deconstruct. And that's kind of what I told you that feeling, like get to what, what you can learn through this experience. What is something I can take from it and apply to my life? Um, and then six is disrupt because the danger is we don't want to self-ruminate. We don't want to get stuck in the mud because that isn't helpful either. And self-pity isn't helpful. It's important to look at emotions as weather patterns. So the weather comes, we feel it. When it rains, we feel it. But we also know that the sun's coming out one day. It's not going to be rain, rainy forever. So experience it like a weather pattern. It's like I can really be and really be in this rain but I know it's not going to be forever. So um, that's just a really important thing to remember. Um, and owning your feelings doesn't mean, it doesn't need to define you. So when we start going, I'm just a depressed person, then it gets into unhealthy territory where we're not, um, where we're owning uh, our pain instead of just having our pain. So we want to have our pain and not own, own it, if that makes sense. Um, and then disruption is a really important thing that helps me get out of my rumination is like if I'm sitting and I'm feeling gross, even just getting up and stretching can really help um, movement going outside those little things to shake up your mood can be really helpful. Um, and then the last thing and I know I went over but um, is hope and hope is such an important piece hope is what gets us out of bed in the morning. And I've always talked about hope and hope is such an important piece of our, of our work in mental health is holding on to that hope. And re recently I heard a neuroscientist say that hope is actually more important than food and water because hope is what gets us moving. So find ways um, in your day to invite hope and whether that's your faith, whether, whether it's connection, whether it's laughter, um, what, how can you invite hope into your life every day? And um, I'm going to pass back to Karina, but in the chat, I would love for you to share maybe some things that give you hope just to get us talking about hope. Um, and I'll pass it to Karina. All right. Thank you so much. So let's take one more breath because we're going to go on one more deep dive here. So early in the summer, uh, just, and, and actually just thank you, Jen. Those are such great tools, such great practices, um, to do with how we engage with grief, with mourning, with sadness. So if you remember early this summer, we spent some time talking about the importance of doing the work of anti-racism. And it feels really appropriate to revisit this topic because for one, October 4th is the day we remember murdered and missing indigenous women and girls. That is a huge type of ambiguous grief for the Indigenous community. It is a present day living nightmare for them. And also this past week, if you remember, it was also Orange Shirt Day where we remember the trauma and the cost that the residential school system inflicted on Indigenous families and children. So these communities have so much grief that they're carrying. They don't have the option to not address this. And it really is our privilege that lets us isolate it to one or two days of remembering a year. 
So I just wanna invite us first of all, as a community to take just a moment to breathe in that prayer. God of all comfort, comfort our indigenous friends, our indigenous communities. And just ask that God, you would be present to the reality that all of the creator's children are experiencing. Yeah, Christ have mercy. So we acknowledge that we have much to learn about the history and the present day realities experienced by BIPOC communities. That is shorthand for black indigenous people of color. And as a church, we wanted to take a few minutes to reconnect to that concept because often doing the work of anti-racism will put you face to face with unexpected grief in yourself. So I wanted to share with you just a couple principles that can help navigate this type of grief and mourning. It's very necessary, but it needs to be handled with great care. And I figured the best way to do that was to share um, um, a couple ways I failed miserably at it. So you don't have to. Um, and even the first getting preparing for this weekend, in the context of relationship, you know, we've had Nicole, um, my friend, I'm her podcast partner, and we had invited her into the community before and we thought, oh, it would be great if we could, you know, she could share her story of as, as a Métis woman and how that related to grief and all the rest of that. And because we have relationship with her, it was totally appropriate. But then when she wasn't available, I kind of started trying to find some other people because we wanted to honor the Indigenous community and listen and learn and realized this is not the way. Outside of relationship, it's asking somebody to kind of become like a token representation of mourning for us. And, and then it's like, that's all that they get to be to us is the sad Indigenous person. And, and it, it's like, it sort of is like it uses them in a way that is such emotional labor for them. So that it was good to be reminded again that outside of relationship, we do our own work and we don't um, require part of the oppressed community to educate us. And then the other big one um, is learning to hold space for our grief in these anti-racist conversations. And I want to just acknowledge that I will be centering my voice here, but it's because we're a predominantly white space. And here is an appropriate place for me to acknowledge my mistakes so we can all learn to do better together. It, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to share this in like a mixed or mainly indigenous space to prove how good I am at um, anti-racism or that like I've really done the work. Context matters in this work of anti-racism. So this is about four years ago. I was very new to this whole process and I went to a She Loves retreat with a friend. It's an online magazine, highly recommend it, it's great. The theme for the weekend was Rise Up. And we had heard stories from indigenous survivors of the 60s scoop in the residential school system. Honestly, beautiful and brutal stories of women reclaiming their history and their lives. And we heard from Métis women, it's where I met Nicole. And we heard from black women and white women as well. It was a pretty amazing event. Um, we listened and learned and encouraged one another to rise up and take up all the space God created us for. And he was, it was somewhere near the end that just the weight of my privilege and the awareness of the racism and cultural genocide that Indigenous people have endured in my country totally overwhelmed me. And it really doesn't matter exactly what caused it. But what I was experiencing was grief over my complicit and active participation in a system that harms other people. What I felt was genuine repentance. I needed to grieve. I needed to mourn. But what I did next was absolutely the wrong way to handle my grief as a white woman, woman sorry, towards Indigenous people. In my sorrow, I went to one of the Indigenous women who had spoken and led us in worship through her drumming and I just started bawling and apologizing. I was so sorry. I didn't know. I had no idea. Please forgive me. I will do better. And she kind of stonewalled me. She would not accept delivery. So then I had this growing dual experience of like deep, genuine sadness. And then 
oh, would you look at that? My whiteness wanted to center itself again. And internally I'm thinking, hey, I'm doing some really hard work here. Like, why won't you acknowledge it? Or like, I don't know, be grateful. Oh, you guys, it was so bad. So I had the purest of intentions. But when it comes to victim and victimizer, oppressor and oppressed relationships, it's completely inappropriate for abused people to hold grief for their abusers, no matter how great the intentions. Intentions do not equal impact. Now, today, I can say that I am so thankful that she would not have it. If she had tried to console me or carry my grief or be like, you know, oh, it's okay. You, you, you did, you know, it wasn't directly you. It, anything that I might have wanted to hear, I don't think I would have leaned into doing the work. I would have absolved myself and not begun a journey that has led me to deal with my own grief in my own life that I'd been suppressing. And I also would not still be on this journey of learning to be anti-racist, learning to decolonize the Bible, learning from and championing the spirit and talent and lives of indigenous people in Canada. So the lesson is this, grief is sacred. When you do anti-racism work, you will come into contact with grief. It is appropriate as a white person to hold space and hear and believe the grief and trauma that racism has caused BIPOC communities. But it does not go both ways. Outside of relationship and invitation to do so, we as settlers and colonizers need to process our grief about our participation and awareness of racism within our own racial community and our own safe spaces. Today, this place, this is an appropriate space for white grief. This would also apply when we're like healing relationships with LGBTQ people or any relationship where we have represented the oppressor. We need to remember to send it through appropriate channels so we don't end up harming the very communities we want to reconcile with. Brene Brown said in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, when we deny our own stories, we get to write a brave, or they define us. When we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new end ending. In our lives, in our relationships, in our faith, in our communities, may we be brave enough to tell the truth about our sadness, our grief, and to participate in mourning. And may we discover more comfort and presence and wholeness than we ever thought possible. May we be blessed to write brave new endings that honor both our collective humanity and God's image in all of us. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So now I'm gonna pass this back to close back to Jen and she's going to share a poem with us and sort of as an act um, you may wish to turn off your camera for this or feel free to, to to join us either is fine but I would invite you to just close your eyes and be really present to where you notice emotion in your body when she's reading to us and talking about joy and sadness and if you are like, I don't really feel it anywhere, I just encourage you put your hand on your heart and just breathe. Imagine your breath going all the way into your heart and all the way out and kind of just treat this as a moment of inviting the presence of love into your body, into whatever emotional experience you're having. It doesn't have to be grief. It can literally be anything. It all belongs. It's all allowed. So I'm going to pass it to Jen to close it off. And then we will um, close up the service and go into Q&R. Thank you. I appreciate what you just shared, Karina. That was powerful. Um, this, this is a poem that has been really hopeful for me over the years when I've struggled. Um, it's allowed me to kind of realize that the role of pain and sorrow 
plays a huge part in who I am as a person and who I've developed and become. And it's helped build character. It's helped to build compassion for others. And it's also uh, given me a capacity for joy that I didn't have if I hadn't have ex experienced pain. Um, so it's been really uh, a supportive poem for me. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. It's called On Joy and Sorrow, and it's by Khalil Gibran. Um, and he passed away uh, in 1931. So it's an old poem, and it's from a series of poems called The Prophet. Some of you may have be familiar with it. Then a woman said, speak to us of joy and sorrow. He answered, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the selfsame well from which your, your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can this be? A deeper sorrow carves into your being, uh, the more joy, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine, the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven. And is not the lute that soothes your, soothes your spirit, the very wood that was hollowed with knives. When you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you will find that it only was with that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. When you are sorrowful, look again in your heart and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Some of you say, joy is greater than sorrow. And others say, nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, and when one sits alone with you on your board, remember that the other is asleep on your bed. Verily, you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty, and you are at a standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you up to weigh his gold and silver, needs must your joy or your sorrow rise or fall. Thank you. Sorry about the person who decided to saw something outside my door. <laughs> Thank you. Karina, you're still muted. Yeah. There I am. Yeah. All right. Very good. Um, Sarah, I'm going to need you to remind me what's next. I, I think that um, just being present with your emotions during, during reading that is how we would want to end the service for today. And so I just, uh, I guess I'll pray for everybody. God, I thank you for for this service together. I thank you for how you are always with us in our grief, in our mourning, in our joy. And um, pray that you'll just allow us to work through this together as a community, that you would increase our capacity and that we would remember that we're never alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jen and Karina.